Hi all, welcome to episode 3 of Bench Talk Sports. I'm your host, Ish. This week, we're going to be taking a deep dive into week 2 of the NFL season, from questionable officiating to the fallout of the new pass interference review rules. We're going to talk about college football briefly. It was a fairly status quo week, and we're going to talk about the FIBA World Cup and how Spain won the gold medal. Jumping right into FIBA, Spain just won the gold medal, as I mentioned, with Ricky Rubio being the tournament MVP. This was a great performance for Ricky Rubio, and I think it's going to translate to him proving that he still has what it takes to be a starting caliber point guard in the NBA and be a star point guard. I think he's going to be a great fit with the Suns, who need a good point guard in order to have a good ball distributor to get Devin Booker going. While Booker can create his own shot and does have some good passing vision, having a strong point guard to complement a strong scoring piece will certainly help the Suns' offense. Mark Gasol and Wancho Hernan Gomez also had great tournaments. For Wancho, this is bringing back a lot of excitement to the Nuggets and him potentially being a starting or six-man caliber uh, small forward for the Nuggets instead of playing the more limited and injury-based minutes that he did last season. And Mark Gasol proved that he hasn't hit the age cliff yet and that he'll still be a threat with the Raptors this upcoming season with Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. The Raptors still should have a good team as demonstrated by Mark Gasol's quality gameplay during the tournament. Moving away from Spain, Luis Scola had a great tournament for Argentina, allowing Argentina to have a ton of great upset wins in their run to the FIBA final game where they were beat pretty handily by Spain, but they managed to upset a French team in the semifinal, a good France team with Rudy Gobert locking down the middle, and a France team that actually had beat the U.S. team, as we talked about last week, with Rudy Gobert putting in a great defensive performance over Miles Turner. The last player I want to highlight from the World Cup, and I talked about him last week, is Bogdan Bogdanovich of the Sacramento Kings. I think he exists as a top-tier scorer, as he proved in the tournament, and I think that'll translate very well to the NBA. He shoots a high percentage from three. He can finish. His jump shot's very fast, very reliable. Now, the Kings do have two great guards in De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, but I think there's space on the court for them to go small and let Bogdan start at the three, maybe. He has some length, or let Buddy Heald and Bogdan take turns as uh, combo 2-3 and switch on based on the uh, defensive matchup. And De'Aaron Fox being a great defender helps with being small at the three as well, as they can't get exposed on switches off to the one, which should help the team as a whole. With basketball pretty much wrapped up until next week when the or next month when the NBA season starts, I want to quickly talk about college football. As I said earlier, very status quo week. Uh, nothing really major happened. Michigan State was upset by Arizona State, where Michigan State had made a game-winning field goal, which was taken back by penalty. They missed the re-kick. Felipe Franks got hurt in Florida's win, so that'll be something to look out for in the uh, down the line in the season if he's able to come back and help Florida get through this SEC schedule. Temple upset Maryland. Uh, Maryland only scored 17 points in the upset after scoring 60-plus points the first two weeks. Uh, and USC was upset by BYU. USC was only ranked 24th. They got in by beating Stanford the week before, and Stanford was trounced by number 17 UCF team this week, which basically said that, hey, we overrated Stanford going into the season, and it looks like as a result, USC got a little bit overrated last week, and that should correct itself out. Speaking, Staying on the Pac-12, though, Utah is appearing to be a top team in the Pac-12. They have the best defense in the Pac-12. They have a number 10 ranking, and they're the highest-ranked Pac-12 team. It'll be interesting to see them how they do with the schedule and see if they can compete for a playoff spot. Now let's get to an action-packed Week 2 of the NFL. One thing I want to talk about quickly before jumping into the individual games is the new pass interference review rule that was instituted this offseason. The rule stems from the fact that 
the Rams had a uncalled pass interference penalty against the Saints in the final drive of the NFC Championship game where if that pass interference was called, it was very likely that New Orleans could win that game and go to the Super Bowl. So as a result of that play, the NFL decided that you could challenge a passing play to either add or remove pass interference based on the call on the field. Initially, it sounded like a good idea, but as we're going to get to going through the games from the week, there were some unintended consequences, and it ended up being a lot of ref ball this week instead of football. The first game of the week that I watched was the Thursday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Carolina Panthers. The big thing that stood out to me in this game is that neither team played particularly well. There was a lot of penalties on both sides, a lot of sloppy plays, missed throws, drop passes. It wasn't that you know one of the defenses was supremely tight compared to the other defense or that one of the offenses was lighting it up against the other. Carolina ended up losing a close game and they failed to convert a fourth down near the goal line at the end of the game with a chance to win it. Win it. I think part of that is really down to Cam Newton's injury history, and I think Cam Newton has been unwilling or unable to run the ball hard down the middle in these kind of scenarios that Cam Newton was kind of known for. He was known for being the biggest, strongest athlete on the field and being able to just take the ball and muscle down the defensive line for a yard or two if need be, and I think injuries are finally starting to catch up to him. You saw it in the Super Bowl when he didn't dive on the ball when Von Miller knocked it out. You're seeing it uh, last week and this week, and he's taking a lot less risks. I don't know if that's a choice that he's making or if that's something that the coaching staff is doing in an attempt to preserve his health. But either way, I think Cam needs to play that strong in the ground, uh, run between the tackle style of football in order to win games and even get to a point where staying healthy for the playoffs is relevant. He's also not throwing the ball great, which doesn't help. He's been super inaccurate. Uh, he's missing over 30% of passes are uncatchable balls by his receiver. Uh, and that's the worst percentage in the NFL by a significant margin. So hopefully he can get that under control and help uh, Carolina start winning games. The defense did stand up. You know, the defense gave them opportunities. Luke Keekley had a monster game. And I think he's primed to continue to have a great season. Uh, nothing really stood out to me about Tampa Bay's performance uh, other than the fact that Jameis Winston does not look great. And this is really his last season, his last opportunity to prove himself. So hopefully he gets it together later on in the season as the rust knocks off. A game that I think I and many other people thought was going to be a really good game this week was the Saints versus Rams in a rematch of the NFC Championship game. The game where the refs got robbed the New Orleans Saints with that pass interference and the inspiration for the PI rule that we just talked about. Now, the Rams' offense was playing well after a slow start. Todd Gurley got some red zone touches, got a touchdown. He was looking pretty good. Uh, but unfortunately for the Saints, Drew Brees got hurt early. Uh, his hand collided with Aaron Donald in a pretty hard hit. And unfortunately, he has to go, go under surgery for his thumb, which is going to have him out for six weeks. Now, the Saints have one of the better backup quarterbacks in the NFL in Teddy Bridgewater. However, he didn't play great on Sunday. He wasn't really able to help the Saints compete with the Rams. Hopefully he's able to get it together, and he has a real audition this season to see if he can get a good contract next year when he's a free agent or if he can be the long-term replacement for Drew Brees down in New Orleans. Now, one big thing that happened this game was the refs went after the Saints again. Uh, the conspiracy theorists are out about how the refs have a conspiracy against the Saints because this week, there was a fumble by Jared Goff, very clear and obvious fumble, that was recovered by the Saints by Cam Jordan, and he ran it all the way back for a touchdown. However, the refs blew the play dead 
and initially called as an incomplete pass, so the Saints had the Saints had to then challenge the play to get the fumble, which was again a very obvious fumble, and it was recovered by the Saints. The refs gave the ball after the review, but it nullified the entire fantastic return by Jordan, and I think that would have been a great momentum swing for the Saints to kind of take a position in this game instead of being blown out by the Rams towards the end. And I think the NFL has to look into this. This was a very bad call, along with many really bad calls this week. But the NFL needs to get their officiating sorted out because these kind of poor performances are reminding me really of when the refs went on strike and we had the backup refs. And we know how bad that ended up for the NFL. All right, so this next game was one of the more controversial refereed games of the week, and that was the Chicago Bears versus the Denver Broncos. I'm particularly upset about this one as a Broncos fan, but there was bad officiating on all sides of the ball. So we'll start with the most impactful call of bad refing, and I think even Chicago fans would agree that they got lucky and they got away with one here, is that at the end of the fourth quarter, when the receiver for the Bears was downed, he was downed at zero seconds left on the clock, and the cornerback didn't touch him until the clock read double zeros, presumably to make sure that the clock was out. And somehow the refs determined that he was down with a second left and that the Bears called an instantaneous timeout which has never happened, it cannot happen because the timeout has to be physically signaled to the refs and the refs have to physically move the whistle to their mouths to blow it, to blow the clock dead. And that process takes a second of time. Every single timeout you've seen during a two minute drill is always a second or two after the play is done because that's how long the exchange takes between a ref and a head coach or a ref and a quarterback to get the timeout out. So there should have been no time for Chicago to kick a field goal and Denver should have won it off of a great two point conversion by Joe Flacco and Emmanuel Sanders. Additionally, there were some very controversial roughing the passer calls against both teams. There was one in the last drive that set up the Bears touchdown, or the Bears field goal, my bad, uh, by Bradley Chubb, and he clearly did not rough the passer. He, in fact, was being held by his face mask as he hit Mitchell Trubisky, who was going, who had the ball, and then was got rid of the ball, and then the hit was completed as the O-lineman was in fact pulling Chubb away, the force was minimized. And as the announcers even said during the game, the NFL is trying to regulate out contact in a contact sport. There's a similarly bad pass interference call uh, where a lineman for Chicago got on uh, Joe Flacco. And that should not have been a pass interference call either. That one didn't end up mattering as much because Flacco threw a red zone interception on the drive. But if that ended up mattering, I know Chicago fans would rightfully be up in arms about how that P.I. gave the Broncos a bunch of free yards. There were a ton of holding calls. Uh, Bulls, number 72 for the Broncos, had five against him this game. That's entirely too many calls, and I don't know why the head coach is sticking by him as our solution at left tackle. We should be calling around the league to see if we can get a left tackle immediately. And there were also two defensive holdings against Derek Wolf, which were not good calls. And in his postgame presser, he was very upset. Understandably so. If you're moving the offensive lineman out of the way and shedding a block in order to make a tackle or go after the quarterback, that's how you play defense. Uh, That shouldn't be called. Standard block shedding is not a hold, and these refs were calling holds left and right. There have been 10 holds against the Broncos in the first couple weeks. There have been almost 100 holds across the NFL in the first couple weeks, a much higher rate when I think the highest two-week span last year had like 45 holds. And the NFL, again, like I just said, the NFL has to do something about this. This is a huge problem, and the refs need to get better. There needs to be accountability for these referees. You know, players shouldn't be fined for talking bad about referees because the referees are not doing their job. Uh, The referees, in fact, in my opinion, should be fined. I think that would help 
provide accountability and drive better referee performance if the NFL, you know, when they review these things, which I presume somebody's reviewing and should be reviewing in an effort to improve officiating throughout the season. And they should be assigning fines to referees for making poor calls and poor judgments that impact games and have no way of being fixed. Uh, getting back to football, though, Chicago was struggling extremely on the pass, but David Montgomery had a great game running the ball. Their O-line was making space for him. Uh, Joe Flacco played all right. Uh, the running backs by committee with Freeman and Lindsay is working out well. Lindsay is running pretty well, and Freeman was actually running extremely well towards the end of the game uh, on those final two drives when the Broncos were pushing to score. The next game I want to talk about is Chiefs versus Raiders. Mahomes was dominant. In just one quarter, he threw four touchdowns and 278 yards, and he had no other touchdowns for the rest of the game, but his second quarter was enough to propel them over the Raiders. He had 400 yards for the course of the day. I think without silly penalties, uh, they would have actually scored more. A 72-yard touchdown was called back because of a penalty, um, and that is really what prevented the Chiefs from opening up a huge blowout instead of a smaller blowout against the Raiders. Next up, we have another close game, a one-point win by the Houston Texans over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Gardner Minshew played really well in the final drive for the Jaguars. He's showing up as a great rookie backup quarterback, and I hope to see this consistently throughout the season. And he might have a full-time starting job soon if he continues to play at this level. Uh, the Jags had a chance to make a two-point conversion at the end of the game to win it. Uh, Marone said instead of kicking it in time the game, we want to go for two and win. Understandable. You know, Vic Fangio did the same thing in Denver, and without the field goal, mishap Denver would have won right on that decision uh, so the Jacksonville Jaguars go for it after a great touchdown by Minshew and Leonard Fournette in my eyes in the eyes of most people at the stadium as they showed the replay on the Jumbotron is that Leonard Fournette extended the ball and broke the plane of the end zone and got the two-point conversion however the ref said he didn't make it and then after review they said that the call stand because it you know there wasn't ir uh in inarguable evidence for giving the two points when it was pretty clear to me that the ball actually broke the plane and it was pretty clear to most people watching that the ball broke the plane and that Jacksonville should have won. This is yet another example of the referees controlling the outcome of these games this week and another example of literally a last second play being gummed up by poor officiating and Jacksonville was robbed of a win. Uh, they played a great game against Houston, and Houston played all right. Their offense didn't light up as I expected them to after last week's performance against the Saints, but it was still all right. Uh, they played a, they played well enough to put themselves in a position to win. It was a good game, which bad officiating ruined the ending again. Next couple games are a lot less controversial. Ravens versus Cardinals. Lamar Jackson looked awesome. He was very accurate on the deep ball. On third and 11 to ice the game, he threw a deep ball. To a receiver that was pretty well covered but the ball was so accurate that only the receiver could catch it it was hollywood brown who was playing another great week too uh, he caught the ball it was just placed between hollywood brown and the sideline excellent throw by lamar jackson he had 270 yards passing and 120 rushing yards so he had a phenomenal overall complete game you know almost 400 yards in total kyler murray had another strong fourth quarter Similar to last week's comeback where they were managed to tie the Lions. He threw for over 300 yards, but he wasn't able to complete the comeback and force overtime. And Lamar Jackson's clutch throw really iced the game for the Ravens. The Cowboys thoroughly dominated the Redskins. Prescott had a great game after an early interception. Zeke ran for 100 yards. It was a little bit sloppy. The first half had seven holding calls, but after that, the game got... what. Uh, 
got underway, got under smoothly. Redskins really just didn't have an an answer for da- uh, Dallas's offense and Dak's passing attack and Zeke's running game. Cooper had a touchdown. They did manage to get Adrian Peterson a touchdown, so that was a nice moment for AP to move up on the all-time touchdown list. But overall for the Redskins, their quarterback play isn't killing them. Case Keenum's playing all right football, but they just have to get better on all sides of the ball. They have to just be more consistent on defense. And they have the good pieces for defense, but they weren't able to execute against Dallas. And the offense appears to have flashes, and then they're just slightly above average, but they lose to good teams as they've played two really good teams in a row. So we'll see how they do against maybe more mediocre competition in the future. Next two games I want to talk about are both impacted by the pass interference rule we broke down earlier in the episode. First of the games being Seahawks versus Steelers. Russell Wilson had a great game, 300 yards, three touchdowns. Seattle backfield, the Seattle backfield played well. You know they combined to rush for over 100 yards. Uh, Big Ben unfortunately got hurt. He's having surgery on his elbow. He's going to be out for the season. So we're going to see how Mason Rudolph can handle the. Handle the pressure of trying to get the Steelers back into the playoffs. He played pretty well. He had a touchdown drive to get the game close. It was a 28-6 loss for the Steelers. Um, And the first time that a pass interference call was added after a challenge occurred this week when Pete Carroll challenged an incomplete pass and he said, hey, there was a pass interference. The refs reviewed it and added the PI. I think this was, you know, what the intended consequence of this rule was. If there's a pass interference on the field that doesn't get called, the team can still get the yards. I think it worked. I don't know that it was a very obvious pass interference, but I don't think too many people will argue against it being a non-call. And if the challenge system didn't exist, you know, Seattle fans would definitely be, oh, you know, they missed the call and we should have had it. Lucky for Seattle, they won. So the call didn't end up, or the non-call wouldn't have ended up costing them, but the call may have helped them and Pittsburgh fans may be upset about that. The next game to be impacted, this time with the unintended consequence of that rule, was Vikings-Packers. Packers Packers got ahead 21-0, Rodgers played great, and then Minnesota was mounting a great comeback. Cousins unfortunately had an interception late in the red zone, which cost them the game. But before that, the refs wiped a Vikings touchdown off of the field because they added an offensive pass interference when they were reviewing whether or not the touchdown, you know, whether or not the receiver uh, caught the ball, broke the plane, etc., they decided to retroactively add a offensive pass interference call to wipe that touchdown off the board, and I don't think that was a good look. I don't think the NFL intended for that to happen when they made this challengeable pass interference rule. And, you know, I, in my opinion, it wasn't even really an offensive pass interference. This was a pretty controversial call. I think the receiver was trying to get off the block and trying to get off the line and get open. He wasn't really setting a pick or blocking, which is what they called the offensive pass interference for. So I think, again, the NFL has to look into this rule. I think there's, I think the spirit of the rule was in the right space, right space when they invented it, but they're going to have to do some more crafting with this rule to make sure these unintended consequences don't wipe off exciting good plays from the board. Another good close game was the Chargers versus the Lions. Stafford had some endgame heroics. He threw two interceptions, but then he made up for it by throwing a beautiful pass uh, for a touchdown to put the Lions ahead right at the end. And the Chargers actually had a chance to win this game at the end. And Rivers tried to do too much and threw a pick to Darius Slay, who had a clutch interception. Despite the fact that Keenan Allen was matched up one-on-one against Slay for most of the game. And Keenan Allen really was getting the better of that matchup. He had 98 yards um, and was really beating Slay on a lot of plays. And then there were just a couple of drop balls, a bad throw by Rivers that allowed them not to capitalize on more of those exposures of Darius Slay. But Darius Slay got the last laugh. 
with that interception on Philip Rivers at the end of the game. I think the reason Philip Rivers tried to play hero ball and threw that risky pass was because the kicking situation was extremely suspect in San Diego. They had a punter kicking. He had already missed a couple of kicks in the game. He'd missed an extra point, missed field goals. It just wasn't a great look. And I think Philip Rivers realized that, hey, I don't want to put this in the hands of the kid who's been an inconsistent kicker all day. I'd rather just score the touchdown myself. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for the Chargers. And the Lions got a nice win at home. Before we jump into the very exciting Sunday night football game, let's get the last couple of blowouts out of the way. The Patriots annihilated the Dolphins. Tom Brady dominated. The Patriots scored in all three phases. The defense scored, special teams scored, and obviously Tom Brady scored. Antonio Brown actually had a touchdown, so Antonio Brown wasn't placed on the commissioner's exempt list and suspended by the league. And due to the nature of ongoing investigations, the Patriots uh, chose not to draw any assumptions and play him until the investigations pan out. I'm not going to get into those here. Uh, they don't impact the, his play on the field, and they so far haven't impacted his ability to be on the field. But if that situation changes, we'll probably talk about it in the next episode once the investigation concludes and the NFL makes its statements. Outside of that, um, the Finns tried two quarterbacks. They played Ryan Fitzpatrick. They played Josh Rosen. Both of them looked really bad. Fitzpatrick threw three interceptions. The Patriots just looked extremely dominant. You added Antonio Brown to the mix, who's already developing some chemistry with Tom Brady. They ran a few plays for him. He got, you know, 60 yards in the touchdown we spoke about. So you're just giving Tom Brady more and more weapons, and they don't look very beatable right now. But they also haven't played good competition yet. You know, they just blew out the Dolphins. So we'll see how they stack up against the better teams in the league. But right now, they're clear head and shoulders favorite in the NFL. Next up, we have the 49ers dominating the Bengals. Jimmy Garoppolo looked great after a slow start off of injury last week. But, you know, last week was his first game coming back from the injury. He looked good today. The Bengals' defense was just not playing well. Dalton's numbers were okay, but he didn't really have any great production. He got some garbage time points at the end, or numbers at the end, rather. And all in, the Bengals did not look like the team that took Seattle to the brink, especially after Seattle had a good performance against Pittsburgh this past weekend. The last game before Sunday Night Football was Bills versus Giants. Uh, the Buffalo Bills obviously beat the Giants. Uh, Josh Allen played really well. He looks like a good starting caliber quarterback. I'm excited to see what he does in this league. Uh, Saquon Barkley had another great game in a losing effort for the Giants. They did the same thing they did last week. They marched down the field on the first drive of the game, 75 yards. This time Saquon got the, got the touchdown on a 27-yard scamper, and then boom. Nothing. Eli throws a couple of picks, and the Bills roll on to a routine victory. Speaking of this, uh, Josh Allen, the other good young quarterback in his division, Sam Darnold, he actually has mono, and he's out for an indefinite period of time, so he won't be playing in the Jets' Monday night game against the Browns. So expect the Browns to win, but after last week's embarrassment, or I hope they're more motivated to win, but after that embarrassment, maybe the Jets have something to build on and can try to beat the Browns. We'll see what happens. Now, this was the best game of all, all day. It was Eagles-Falcons on Sunday Night Football. Great last-minute back-and-forth game. Uh, both defenses were playing well. Philly marched down the field to get a three-point lead off of a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Uh, the Falcons come back, and Julio Jones catches a 50-yard screen pass and scores a touchdown. So all of a sudden, the Falcons are up by four, where I actually thought, you know, the Falcons were getting in field goal range. They would kick the field goal, go to overtime, but that screen broke open with some great blocks. They get the touchdown. So Philly gets the ball back and is marching down the field into the red zone. They're looking to get a touchdown, and there's some time left on the clock. 
Atlanta has three timeouts. Who knows? With their weapons, they might even be able to go back and get a field goal and tie it with a minute left. Unfortunately, however, it came down to a fourth down, just like last time. And this time, the Eagles were unable to convert the fourth down. It was very close. Uh, Zach Ertz caught the ball maybe half a yard short, but there was some excellent, excellent ta tackling by the Falcons, and they did not let him fight forward for that half a yard. He tried, but he clearly did not make it, and it was a great defensive stop. Uh, Wentz and Ryan both had great games in the second half after shaky starts and throwing interceptions early, but all in, it was a fantastic football game. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you're back next week. I'm very excited to be watching football, and we'll see what else happens. Baseball should be good this week as well. Enjoy.